So a vision to strive for. As I was thinking about the message for uh, today, I broke it out into two parts. First, an eschatological overview. And the second, Dunphy Missionary Church's vision. (laughs) I heard a giggle. Yes, an eschatological overview. Because when I think of vision, I, I think way beyond what we can see. I think way beyond what we can do. And I think what a great vision God has in place for his church, for the world that he has created. And so I just feel like we can't really talk about our own vision for here, for our local church, without having some idea what the end times might look like. So I want to read to you um, from Revelation chapter 1. Verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to be talking a lot about things that you'll find in Revelation and things that you find in other parts of Scripture and just try to put it out real clear for us. But here's what it says in Revelation chapter 1. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, it'll be on page 1912, 1912. The Revelation... From Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me just stop here for a second. Remember, Jesus means the one who saves. Christ means the anointed one. Be thinking about whenever you hear somebody say Christ or Jesus or Jesus Christ, it's not a first name and a last name. It's the one who saves, the anointed one of God. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because... The time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, and I would say to us today, Dunfee Missionary Church, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Like I said, I just believe the universal church whom this was being written to needs to understand a little bit more about these end times. We need to have a clear vision of the culmination of the church age, the end time as we know it, the glorious eternal state. Now there's a vision to strive for. This is known as eschatology. It's a big word. It just means the study of the end times. 
the study of the end times, without getting into a deep two-year-long Bible study, <laughs> without getting into arguments about very specific details about the end times, like do you, do you believe in pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation, I think we need to understand these highlights so that we can be aware of an eschatological overview. And I suggest to you that you need to do your own study to get more of the details, to see if what I'm telling you fits with what you understand for the end times. You need to become familiar with a vision of the end times and our eternal future. So one of the words that I want to look at is rapture. Rapture. Jesus Christ will remove all born-again believers from the earth in an event known as the rapture. Born-again believers are those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have accepted him to be their Savior. And during the rapture, we who believe will be caught up with him in the sky. Even those who believed in him and have died before us will be raptured with him in the sky. We find this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 54. If you didn't pick up a handout um, before this message and you want all these scripture verses, they're in the handout by the offering plate in the back. And you can look up these scriptures. The next thing we need to understand is there will be a judgment seat of Christ. A judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, all believers will stand before Jesus Christ this will be a time that we will be rewarded. We will be rewarded for the good works and the faithful service that we did here on earth. And some may lose some rewards for not doing what God planned for you to do here on earth. It's for born-again believers. It's not for unbelievers. It's for us, the church. It's not a time where we might lose eternal life. We've got that through Jesus Christ. It's simply a time of reward with no punishment. The judgment seat of Christ. And then we need to understand the word tribulation. There is a time that the Antichrist, also called the beast, will come into power and will sign a covenant with Israel, with the Jews. A covenant of peace for seven years is what it will be signed as. Does that mean the country Israel that we know today? I don't know. But it will be the Jews that are, were the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. Daniel 9.27 is where we find that this covenant is going to be made. There will be a seven-year period known as the tribulation. There will be terrible wars, famines, plagues, 
and natural disasters beyond what we have ever experienced. God will pour out his wrath against sin and wickedness as the judgments and revelation come to fruition like the seven seals or the seven trumpets, the bowls. Halfway through the seven years, the Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel and make war against Israel. The Antichrist will commit this sin called the abomination of desolation, where he sets up an image for himself for people to worship, and he'll put that image in the temple in Jerusalem. He will want people to worship him as God. This is found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. And the second half of the tribulation is known as the Great Tribulation, Revelations 7, 14. And then we need to know that there's going to be a time of Armageddon. Armageddon is, or occurs at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist will launch an all-out final attack against Jerusalem, culminating in the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus Christ will return and destroy the Antichrist and all his armies, and he will throw them into the lake of fire. That's Revelations 19, verses 11 to 21. And at that point, there will be a time that we call the millennium. Christ will bind Satan in the abyss. Finally, Satan, who is roaming the world today, will be bound and held in the abyss for 1,000 years. And Jesus will rule the earthly king, his earthly kingdom for 1,000 years without any interference from Satan. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. And at the end of the 1,000 years, Jesus will release Satan from his being bound up and thrown in the abyss, and Satan will come out just like he always does, causing more hate and discontent and, and wanting to battle. And Jesus will take Satan and throw him into the lake of fire for all eternity. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. And then we need to know about this great white throne judgment. This is different than the judgment seat of Christ. At the great white throne judgment, all unbelievers will receive a body which will live for all eternity. Right? We're going to get a rapture body like Jesus Christ. These unbelievers are going to get some type of a body that they will exist in for all eternity. And they will stand before the, the great white throne judgment. And Jesus will judge them according to their good works that they did on earth and according to their bad works. And guess what? Any bad deserves death, and it wipes out all those good things that happen. So at the great white throne judgment, Jesus will then open up the book of life and see if their name is written in the book of life, 
which are for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and their name will not be there. And they will be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity, tormented day and night forever and ever. And then we need to know that there is a new heaven and a new earth. Christ will usher in this new heaven and this new earth. It'll be an eternal dwelling place for all believers in Jesus Christ. There will also be a new Jerusalem, and the dwelling of God will be with his people forever and ever. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. Read Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and just be encouraged by this great vision. To me, there is a vision to live for. So now that we have this overview of an eschatological position as individuals and as the church, what is our vision statement for Dunphy Missionary Church? Our vision is a purpose for us to strive for. We want to ultimately become something. What are we striving for? What are our hopes and our dreams? How do we want to be found when Jesus comes and raptures the church? Here it is. Dunphy Missionary Church's vision to strive for. Glorify God by being devoted to Him one another, and reaching the world for Jesus. So let's start to break this down. What, what, first of all, could it possibly mean to glorify God? For our definition today, let's say to glorify God means to honor his greatness. Hold him up for honor and praise. How about to give glory to him for all that is good? Consistently display God's glory in the totality of our lives. Respect him with dignity and honor and praise and worship. You see, I have such a hard time trying to come up with one little phrase for what it means to glorify God. What comes to my mind is God is glory. God's glory is the very essence of who he is. The glory of God consists of his splendor and his majesty and his weightiness, his holiness and his power. God's glory is his intrinsic nature as the great I am. How can we Give glory to God, who is glory. Well, David, the king of Israel in the Old Testament, gives us some ideas. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and he committed a psalm, a song, a a prayer to thank 
the Lord. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 28 and 29, it says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So there it is. We can ascribe glory to the Lord. The great I am, who sovereignly rules over heaven and earth, yet in his amazing providence, he created us, little old us. He created us for his glory. He formed and he made us as his children, so that we would display his glory back to him in joyful worship and in all things that we do good in our life. We are to ascribe all glory to our Lord, to God. Some of you may know the name Sidney McLaughlin. It came to a lot of people's mind a um, few weeks ago. During the Olympics, she broke the world record, which was also her record in the um, 400 meter, yeah, 400 meter hurdles. And all during that time, the press was trying to, to get to her, to interview her, to get her to talk. They were checking her uh, Facebook and Instagram, just wondering what was in her mind. And she wasn't putting anything out until a week or so after she broke the world record again and got the gold medal for the 400 hurdles. She shows us what it means to ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Listen to this. This was on her Instagram. This was the first that she spoke in public after winning the gold medal. She said this, let me start off by saying What an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. Even when it doesn't make sense, Even when it doesn't seem possible, he will make a way out of no way. Not for my own gratification, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life, she said. In anyone's life, for that matter. Just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean that God had failed. His will is perfect and he has prepared me for a moment such as this that I may use the gifts he has given me to point all the attention back to him that's what it means to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name So as we do that, we say in our vision that we're going to be devoted to. I'm not too sure we even understand what devotion really means these days. 
devoted a solemn commitment of loyalty to love and serve with all your being and all of your possessions. Being devoted is pretty heavy, a heavy phrase. When you are devoted to something, your life becomes transformed. You orient all your thoughts, all your activities, and all your resources toward that which you are devoted to. How do you pass the moments in your life? It's easy to say that we are devoted to Him, one another, and reaching the world for Jesus. It's easy to say it, right? But where do we really put our attention? Where do we put our devotion? Some of us have weak moments. We have spent money on ourselves that was really meant to be given away. Some of us have watched a sitcom and we found ourselves laughing at things that were contrary to the will of God. Some of us hide from what we know is true in God's word so that we can indulge in the pleasures of this world. Some of us just fail to accept God's mercy and God's grace. Instead, self-flagellation becomes our personal punishment that we know we deserve. Some of us want to think that there are limits to love and forgiveness. Our relationships just can't be real relationships without having drama in them. And some of us do not want to feel hurt in our life. So we lean on drugs or alcohol and hope to kind of sleepwalk through life. One of the most amazing things about our great God is no matter how unfaithful we are, God is never unfaithful to us. We can learn from God. We can learn from Him. He is wholly devoted to us, His children. He holds nothing back. Not love, not forgiveness, not mercy, not provision and protection, not his presence. He doesn't even hold back his only begotten son. Our Heavenly Father, by example, models devotion for us. Take another look. God is totally devoted to you. The question is, are we devoted to him? Our vision is to strive to get there. Strive to get there. Dunfee Missionary Church's vision is really manifest at the cross. I want you to, to look at the cross as I go through the rest of this message. Yeah, bring it in on the screen for those that are watching online. When you just look at the cross, you get this grand vision of what God has in store for us. The cross is a symbol of his glory 
and his devotion to us, the cross reminds us that all glory is his. We glorify God by being devoted to him. Look at the top of the cross. See how it's pointed up. We always think of heaven as being up. So it's pointing toward God. The vertical ascension of the cross directs our devotion to him. Jesus, in his prayer to God the Father, in John chapter 17, verse 4, shows us how to glorify God by being devoted to him. These are Jesus' words. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. God is our peace and our joy. He's our salvation and our security. He's our daily portion and our strength. Nothing of earth's wealth, nothing of honor or fame comes close to who God is. Even in heaven, there is nothing more superb than God himself. Listen to Psalm 73, verse 25. It says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. When you and I are able to say that and believe that, then our devotion for God will shine. A devoted heart draws near to God. It experiences his presence throughout the day. A fully surrendered heart calls us to fellowship with Jesus. He's the one who hung on that cross so that his power can equip us to carry out God's good, pleasing, and perfect plan. Devotion allows us to adore him and glorify him for who he is, our God withholds nothing from his children. Again, Psalm 73, 25 says, And earth has nothing I desire besides you, O God. And as we move down the cross, we see this cross member where Jesus' hands were nailed and for a moment in time, those nails held Jesus' arms open for us that we call the church, for one another, until Jesus came down off the cross and now he wants to wrap those arms around each one of us that come to him. We become his body, the church. We glorify God by being devoted to one another. The horizontal part of the cross reminds us that it's finished. All who call upon the name of Jesus and accept what he did for them at the cross shall be saved. We are the church. We are one. He gathers us together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to make us whole in this world. As a devotion to God himself, to ascribe glory to God we are to be devoted 
to one another. Romans 12.10 says it this way, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It's a Christian's privilege and duty to be devoted to one another. That's what brings glory to God. Later in, in chapter 12 of Romans, it says this in verses 15 and 16, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Be devoted to one another. And then the last part of our vision is about reaching the world for Jesus. And I want you to to look at the cross, how the vertical part of the cross is pointing down. It was planted in the earth when Jesus hung on the cross. It says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. The big question that we should answer for ourselves is, what is my part of God's plan to reach the world for Jesus Christ? The question needs to be answered for each one of us that are born again, that are believing in Jesus Christ, whether we are in business or in retirement, politics or in education, whether we're a new believer or a seasoned pastor, God has a good, pleasing, and perfect plan for you, for me. Therefore, we need to find out our place in God's grand plan of sharing the love of Jesus with the world. Remember that judgment seat of Christ? We're going to get our reward for knowing what our plan is for using our giftedness the way God gifted us. Have you ever considered what your part is in reaching the world for Jesus? I want you to take some time this week and and probably for a month, maybe a year, in prayer about it. Let God speak to you. How many gifts has God given you to be able to Work his plan for your life. To glorify him. To be devoted in reaching the world for Jesus. Our drive for reaching the world for Jesus comes from our vision of the end times. The rapture. The judgment seat of Christ. The tribulation. Armageddon. The millennium the great white throne judgment and our desire to be there with our friends and our family as Christ ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. And we are driven by a mission to live for. The great commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28 that we've been talking about during the whole last month He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
one another. Therefore, church, go make disciples of all nations. Go meet people where they are. Make disciples. Show them Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Celebrate their commitment. And Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we grow together toward spiritual maturity. And Jesus promises, I will be with you to the very end of the age until the new heaven and the new earth is ushered in by me. Jesus tells us that we do not know how long we need to keep doing this. We just know we need to do it. We don't know when the rapture of the church will occur, but we know what we want to look like when he comes. Be on guard, Jesus says. In Mark 13, 33, Jesus says, Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. We just know that we have a vision to strive for that will prepare us for the readiness of the end times. And the cross is, demonstrates that we want to glorify God by being devoted to Him, one another, and reaching the world for Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving up your life on the cross. Thank you for giving us the promise of the end times that, that you will rapture us, that we can live with you for all eternity, that you will give us our eternal rewards simply by glorifying you here on earth. Father, if there are any that are with us today that don't know you, that have not accepted a relationship with you. I just pray that right now they may say in their heart to you, Jesus, I accept what you did for me on the cross. And I want you in my life. I want to have an eternal relationship. And Father, I pray that you give them boldness to speak with someone here at the church that can pray with them and show them their next steps in your good, pleasing, and perfect plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.